Historically and today, our country has been overrun by those with money and power, giving little voice to the everyday American. We're here to change that. Welcome to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. Each week, our program addresses the problems we are facing in our country, as well as thought-provoking and effective libertarian solutions. This could change the way you see opportunities in your life and your children's lives as well. Now, here is Judge Jim Gray. Hello and welcome wherever you are in our great country or even around the world. We do have listeners from China. We have them from Brazil and, and uh, Ireland, etc. So this is Judge Jim Gray on the Voice America channel. It's always nice to be able to discuss real issues, practical issues with good people. I don't purport to have all the answers. And in fact, if I find people that say they do, I run away as fast as I can in the other direction. But we ought to be able to discuss anything. And of course, this show is called All Rise, The Libertarian Way with Judge Jim Gray. But the idea behind it is if we employ libertarian values, live and let live, uh, don't tread on me, huh? don't tread on anybody, and and responsibility, both financial and otherwise, at all levels of society, individual, group, corporate, as well as government, we will all rise together. And the epitome of that, from my standpoint, is Governor Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island. He's also been a United States Senator from Rhode Island and previously a mayor, so he's certainly been around. He's been a Democrat, he's been a Republican, and now he is a Libertarian. We'll get into that as to that journey and and to why, but uh, we're going to discuss a variety of issues here because uh, that's what we do here on All Rise. So first of all, Governor Chafee, welcome to All Rise and welcome to the Libertarian Party. Uh, Give us a little bit more about your background really please uh, who really is governor lincoln chafee well thank you judge it's a pleasure to join your uh, radio show all rise and i guess what most people don't know about me is my time working on the horse racetrack uh, the harness racetrack and i did that for seven years shoeing horses and up in alberta canada at calgary and edmonton racetracks and had uh, quite a bit of success. In fact, one of my horses was the Western Canadian uh, track record holder with my shoes on. Uh, so it, it showed that I had perseverance, could work hard, and was good with animals, which is uh, always uh, a, uh, good for you in politics. That, that says and, a lot for people. Tell me, tell me the truth. Did you put little springs on the, ho- on the shoes of your horses so they could run a little faster? I can't say I put springs on, but in the winter, we'd have to put borium uh, cleats on the uh, horse's shoes oh. because of the ice and snow. Sure. Yes, and indeed. And weld those on with acetylene and oxygen. You know, I think at a young age that if you get a job as a as a waiter, a waitress uh, in the service business, and you were there sh- shoeing horses, it gives you a perspective lifelong that you understand we're all in the service business and rolling up your sleeves and working just as an extremely important thing to have in your background or still. So so good for you. You're right. I did not know about that. Uh, tell us a few more things that, that we audience don't know about Governor Lincoln Chafee. Well, I started my political career as a Republican in the most democratic state in the country. Uh, Rhode Island typically will give the highest vote for uh, presidential, democratic presidential candidates, whether it's Al Gore or John Kerry or uh, Barack Obama. And, uh, but nonetheless, uh, I was able to get elected to be an incumbent to get on the city council in my city, the second largest city in Rhode Island. 
And then when I ran for mayor, uh, I didn't make it the first time, uh, but the second time, uh, after a month of absentee ballot counting, I squeaked in and was the first Republican mayor in 32 years in my city. And uh, I got reelected. It was two-year terms. Got reelected three times. The last time, uh, Judge, I, got, I won every ward in every district uh, in the city. So it's a hard job uh, dealing with the unions and, uh, tr- and making sure the streets are plowed when the snow comes and picking up the trash and good schools and uh, good police, good fire. Uh, but at the end, I'm very gratified that I won every ward in every district in the city. As well you election. should be. What city was that, Governor? Warwick. It's where the airport is. If you fly into Rhode Island, you land in the city of Warwick. I was at the uh, naval station there for the winter in uh, Newport, Rhode Island, and uh, went through one of your winters. But it's a gorgeous state, and it's a really wonderful place. And I'm sure that uh, hailing from there has given you all kinds of benefits and perspectives. So you eventually became a Democrat as well. How did that happen? Well, first, I, uh, when I, I went to the United States Senate as a Republican, and I just was alarmed, to be honest, that the Republican Party was getting away from fiscal responsibility. We had all these big tax cuts. This was the Bush tax cuts that favored the wealthy without cutting spending. And I just always thought the Republican Party, one thing about us was we took care of the books and kept us out of deficits. And I saw the Republican Party getting us into expensive wars, uh, not taking care of the Hurricane Katrina when it came, not being prepared for that. And so after I, I did lose my reelect to the United States Senate, uh, and I became an independent, and then ran for governor as an independent, and uh, won, and became uh, the first independent governor in Rhode Island's history. But I found it hard to govern. There were very tough times. I got elected in 2010. The uh, recession or depression, whatever you want to call it, was in full force, and uh, very, very difficult times uh, trying to balance the books and provide the services. And uh, being an independent, I thought, was, was made the job, a hard job even more difficult. So I joined the Democratic Party to see if I could get a coalition behind me to get some of my programs passed. And, uh, and that wasn't that good of a, an experience. Uh, I really wasn't a good fit in Rhode Island as a Democrat. And then I did run for president as a Democrat. And I, uh, that, that even was, I got more sickened by the uh, influence that the Clintons had over the process of uh, should be an open process in selecting a nominee, and that just wasn't the case. Well, we I was the chair of the World Affairs Council of Orange County for a couple of years, and, and recently we had an ambassador who had a great amount of experience in the State Department uh, named... Uh, I, I forgot. His name escapes me at the moment. I'll think of it in a minute. But but we asked him after he was ambassador, he was involved with the State Department. Ambassador, what is the biggest problem, security issue faced by the United States today? And without uh, without blinking an eye, he said it was the deficit. And nobody's talking about it except libertarians. Do you, do you share that view? Absolutely. And that's why I left the Republican Party. Uh we just let the, the deficits come cascading back, and that just wasn't my party. I wanted to be fiscally responsible because uh, we have to pay uh, interest on the, on the debt. I just, like, like all of us with your MasterCard or your Visa, you hate paying that interest. And uh, it, it got to be one of the biggest budget items uh, that we had to deal with. The defense was big, of course, and Social Security and Medicare, but right behind it was the interest on our debt. 
And uh, I just don't think that's good policy. Well, it was Ambassador Negroponte, as I'm remembering while you were talking. But oh, yes. Yeah, yes. I we we, we kicked the can down the road. We, we just kicked that can down the road. Even Democrats now in, in running for president, etc., oh, oh, it's not a question of money. It's not a question of, of funding when they get into all of these programs. Yes, it is. But I tell young people, look, I'm going to be okay. I've got a pension. I've got some, some property, etc. But you are bankrupt because all of this deficit is going to come to to fruition in your watch. And, and I believe that pretty much every state we have in the country, every county and every city is bankrupt because they owe more money on these pensions for their their public employees than they're going to have. So it's only the Libertarian Party that I believe is in the mainstream of American political thought today. We are financially responsible. The Republicans and Democrats cannot even pretend to be financially responsible. And we are accepting, live and let live. Is that how you ended up in the Libertarian Party, Governor Chafee? Yes, absolutely. And you're absolutely right. This is the big issue. And I'm looking at a news clipping from the last week or so. And it says the U.S. federal budget deficit increased 26% over the past fiscal year. In one year, up a quarter. And it's uh. expected to top $1 trillion in 2020. It, both parties are guilty. And I do think the young party, young uh, people are going to start looking at the Libertarian Party and saying, not only are they fiscally responsible, but they let me live my life as I see fit. It, it, it could be the party of the future. Well, I think it, it is. Be. If people would understand that. Well, the first thing I would do if I were king, and there's precedence, you know, there was a King James for a while, and by the way, he was not the one that lost his head. That was King Charles. But but the first thing I would do is put in sunset laws. That is to say, every, I don't know, seven years, all of our statutes, as well as our agencies, would be required to come to Congress individually. And for example, an agency would say, for the last seven years, we, this is the amount of money we've spent. This is what we were trying to accomplish. This is what we did accomplish. And now this is our proposal for the next seven years as to what we wish to accomplish and the money that we're requesting to get there. And then we can start looking at these things and pruning them back. So if they have duplicated efforts with other agencies, we say, well, no, you, you don't need to do this anymore. We'll prune back those efforts, prune back your expenses. Because Governor Chafee, like you say, you know, we can't spend money if we don't have that money coming in. It's flat out irresponsible, and I think sunset laws would be accepted. Have you pursued that idea? Well, I had some good success uh, as mayor in balancing budgets and keeping surpluses. Of course, you, it's not like the federal government where you can just print money. And also as governor, uh, the same rules apply. You have to have a balanced budget. And uh, I managed my departments very, very well. I had good directors. And we met often on uh, fiscal matters. How's your department doing? You're you in the black ink. And uh, so at, if you don't have a good fiscal manager, definitely sunset laws are, are good to force the people to manage. But I enjoyed doing it. I wanted to see black ink in all my departments. And, and I cared about it uh, and thought about it every day, uh, each of the departments, and, uh, and also to provide good services. It's, it's something I enjoy doing. Well, we're in the service business. You know, I was as a judge for 25 years. You know, you you figure out, in fact, uh, 
we had Tip O'Neill very long time ago say that politics is personal, and it is, and that's what people appreciate and respond to, but it's also responsibility, and, and seemingly that's what you were doing. So what do you see the difference today among those three political parties, the Democrats, the Republicans, and the Libertarians? Governor Chafee? Well, that's the biggest one, what we're talking about, and, and the deficit and irresponsible spending. Uh, and beyond that, I think the libertarians are setting themselves apart with their uh, tolerance and uh, really bold thinking on how we go forward, not only on the failed war on drugs, but on gay marriage and pro-choice and anti-capital punishment, uh, anti-torture, and, of course, uh, standing up to the military-industrial complex and trying to keep us out of these quagmires, expensive quagmires uh, overseas. It, the more you look at the Libertarian Party, the, the better I think Americans are going to let, see what and, and see what they have there and want to uh, learn more, as I did. Well, I say, in fact, I was running for U.S. Senate as a Libertarian in 2004, which was when we were talking about going into Iraq. And I said as publicly as I could that if we put our ground troops into Iraq, it would be the biggest mistake of my lifetime. And I've seen nothing since then to change my mind. But what's the protection? And the answer to that is it's called the Constitution. We do not put our troops into battles unless we get, what do you call it again? Oh, skip. No, no. It's called a declaration of war. And critically, if the Senate and the Congress would start looking at how, shall we declare war or not, what are they going to say looking at? Well, who is, the, who is the enemy? Where are they? What have they done? What are our national security interests at stake and our, and our national issues? And how will we know when we're done? We'll have an exit strategy, and they'll be a lot more careful. I, I don't believe that Congress would have issued a declaration of war once they started looking at this. Do you share that view? Because we've had several several guests here on All Rise that talk about the Constitution, and I think that's fundamental to libertarians. Is, is that the approach that you would take? Absolutely, absolutely. And I was in the Senate when, right after September 11th, uh, that, September 11th was a Tuesday, and on Thursday we voted to give President Bush authorization to respond. And that same authorization, it was a one-page piece of paper with mistakes on it, it was rushed through, authorization for the use of military force, that's what's being used as the legal justification to get past what you're talking about in the constitutional mandate that the House and the Senate declare war, not the president. And they're using yes. that piece of paper that we voted on back in 2001 uh, for the authorization of use of military force in Syria, in Yemen, in Libya, across Iraq, Iran. Uh, it, 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 that, that's, the Congress should be debating uh, the authorization for more military force, and that's exactly what you say, uh, then they'll say, what are we doing here? And what's our chances of long-term success? And those questions that you brought up are going to lead to uh, better policy, in my view. Well, the Gulf of Tonkin resolution for Vietnam, that, that was not a declaration of war. I would stand up strongly and say these War Powers Acts should be repealed. They've been used, like Governor Chafee says, in Afghanistan as well, which is just a hopeless situation where we're trying to nation build in this tribal area. Uh, we've had speakers uh, or guests on our sh uh, All Rise show for that as well. But would you re recommend the repeal of War Powers Act? Well, the war powers should, uh, it was passed in 1973 as a result of the disaster of Vietnam, and they said, never again are we going to allow this. 
And, uh, and but that's why we passed the authorization for the use of military force on September, what was it, 13th, I guess. And it does refer to the War Powers Act of 1973, that one-page piece of paper. Uh, I say go back to that, that authorization that we gave way back in 2001, and repeal that, and then have a debate on what we're doing in North Africa and the Middle East and around the world, Venezuela and all these places where we're getting involved militarily. Uh, that is absolutely essential, in my view. This approach makes so much sense. And by the way, our founders uh, put this in. I think the Constitution of the United States of America is the greatest document ever written by the hand of man. But I, I can tell you also, and rightfully, that most people love their countries. They believe their countries are special. Uh, do you believe, Governor Chafee, that the United States of America is more special than any other or most countries? And if you do, why? Well, it starts with the Constitution, and I can't argue with you the greatest document ever written by human hands. And also, Judge, uh, I drive across the country frequently, and I'm just always struck by uh, what the anthem says, God shed his grace on me. It, it is so true. The amber waves of grain, the purple mountains, majesty, the fruited plains, we're just, we're blessed in this country naturally with all the bounty we have here. And, and then on top of it, you add in the Constitution. Yes, in my view, we are uh, special, but the point is that we can't be arrogant about it. And too, too often, uh, the, the neocons with their project, pros, project for the new American century, they, they profess an arrogance about our specialness in the United States of America. And, and that just makes people resent us and not like us, and that's not in our long-term best interest. The whole hegemony <laughs> issue... America uh, dictating to the rest of the world uh, on uh, different subjects. I don't believe in that. I believe in uh, working together and using your diplomatic skills and your leadership skills uh, to bring other countries along in our way of thinking in, in, the, in our planet's long-term best interest. I told you already that I was the chair of the World Affairs Council here in Orange County, California, and during one session we had the uh, – representative from the embassies both of of uh, Germany and India there and uh, I was talking with them with a glass of wine prior to one of our meetings and I was asking them you know Germany India I'm not going to say which administration this was because I don't want to get into that but I asked them what does your country think what does your government think about our government and they went through oh we have a wonderful partnership and oh we're great and I said okay I understand that's the party line but how does your people in government really think about the government of the United States and the, and the embassy representative from Germany said you know we're treated like children that we're not your partners. Basically, the United States government dictates to us how we shall be, and, and we're not your child. We're your partner. And the guy from India looked at me and said, we feel exactly the same way. This is what you were saying, Governor, and, and it, we, we can learn from, for example, India uh, has a tradition, a country that goes back something on the order of 3,000 years. Maybe they've learned something that we can. We've only been about, to, what, 250. We can learn from others. We're the partner of others. Those are libertarian values of partnership. I think that's what you're saying as well, is it not? Absolutely, and that arrogance is, is almost juvenile behavior and young behavior. Uh, older people just don't want to act like that. It is a product of our, our youthful country. And I just don't think it's in our long-term best interest. We want partners, in, whether it's Germany or India or across the globe, uh, working with us and treating them uh, as we would want to be treated if we were sitting in their chair. Here, here. Well, I've written a 
musical called Convention, The Birth of America. It's not been staged yet. We're in our final process of, of getting it done. But there, I, I've looked a lot at the founding fathers, or the founders. In fact, I use the word founders because there are women as well, uh, not at the delegates of the convention. But our founders bickered, negotiated, argued about many things at the Constitutional Convention. But to a person, to a delegate, they all believed that the most important function of government was protecting our liberties from the encroachment of government, from the encroachment of government. The second, by the way, was to keep us safe. So do you believe that we have lost our liberties and are continuing to lose them? And, and are you concerned about this, Governor Chafee? Absolutely. And I think the case of Edward Snowden is uh, the perfect example. Uh, he was just a, a person working uh, for the uh, government, and he saw uh, our liberties being stepped on. And he said, this isn't right. I'm, I, I take an oath to the Constitution. And we all know the Fourth Amendment, the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated. And on it goes. Uh, and Snowden said, uh, they're not getting the warrants as required by the Fourth Amendment. And he called the press to his room in wherever it was in Hong Kong or somewhere and uh, disclosed the, the, the uh, abuses against the Fourth Amendment. And... Uh, now he's a, a pariah. Uh, he should be a hero. He, he should, we should be dropping charges, bringing him home, and giving him a ticker tape parade. Thank you, you for exposing our government's uh, infringements on our liberties. That's what we value more than anything. That's what makes us Americans. Governor, I'm impressed. Uh, tell the truth now. You just recited the Fourth Amendment. Were you looking at that, or was that straight from memory? Because that was really impressive. I have to be honest. I, when you asked the question, I pulled out my constitution and and read from the. <laughs> I've got to memorize it. I got it. I got it pretty close, but I don't. I I was looking at it. You know, I went through my life without being able to cite the preamble to the Constitution, but now I've written a song using that as its lyric. So now for the first time, I, I know the preamble. But uh, in fact, uh, I think that people really love my lyrics. I, I'm going to take full credit for having written that song and the lyrics. But but our Constitution is so important. And I, I have occasion, and I'm sure you have as well, to swear in various people for various offices, frequently with bar associations, that sort of thing. And you always put up your hand and will you solemnly swear to protect and defend the Constitution of the United States? And they say, I do. And then I have them keep your hand up. Now swear that you'll read it because there are many people that just do not read it, including, I regret to say, a lot of judges in their written opinions. It seems to me they haven't written haven't read those either. So the Constitution is a miraculous document, and we should follow it. But you mentioned Snowden. I think, well, he is a hero, but he's also a goat, that uh, he didn't screen all of the information that he get, he put out publicly, and I think that he did put some people's safety at risk in the CIA, etc. I think he should be held accountable for that. And also, you go back to Daniel Ellsberg in the Vietnam era, and he did the same thing, and bless him, and he was a hero as well, because he stayed here to face the music. And I think Snowden should have, too. Uh, but uh, otherwise, I certainly share with that. I was appalled, shocked at the information that Snowden caused to be delivered to us. Uh, in that way, he, he clearly is a hero. But we need that responsibility. But So if you think that we're continuing to lose our liberties, which I, I agree upon, uh, how can we address this problem, Governor Chafee? What, what can we do? Well, Ben Franklin said, if we sacrifice our security for 
sacrifice our liberty for security, we'll have neither. And uh, as I talk to Americans, they agree with you that Snowden uh, did a lot wrong. And, he, and I think Americans are, are unfortunately starting to uh, not believe what Ben Franklin said. And they're saying, well, security is more important uh, than our liberties. And I disagree with that. I, uh, just what Ben Franklin said, if we sacrifice our liberties for security, we'll have neither. And that, yeah, that, that, that's a true statement in my view. Yes, it is. And it's something that should be deeply alarming. Uh, as uh, you mentioned, the war on drugs, I, I think that the war on drugs, drug prohibition policy is the biggest failed policy in the history of our country, second only to slavery. And you may not be aware of this, but I wrote a book called Why Our Drug Laws and What We Can Do About Why Higher Drug Laws Have Failed and What We Can Do About It, a judicial indictment of the war on drugs. And I have a chapter in there talking about the erosion of our liberties and its cites only United States Supreme Court drug cases showing how the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, uh, has, have been reduced because of the war on drugs. Uh, do you share my view that the war on drugs should be repealed? Well, first of all, you're quite the Renaissance man, making musicals and, and being an author and uh, being able to sing the preamble to the Constitution. So I'm very impressed. And <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yes, I do believe... Uh, that the uh, war on drugs has been a failure. And we need, my view is that all countries, whether it's under the purview of the United Nations or wherever, should get together and all of us, the, the suppliers and the, uh, and the demand side, uh, look at it and say, what can we do better here? This is not working. And it's, it's corrupting courts. It's corrupting law enforcement. It's cor- corrupting banks. Uh, and people are going to use drugs. How can we, uh, whether they're legal or not legal, uh, how can we address that and make sure that the programs are there for those people that do get in trouble with drugs and uh, try and bring it out from the shadows? Uh, but I believe we should all be doing it, all countries, whether it's the Central American, South American, the, the poppy growers in the Middle East, and, and come up with a better policy. Well, as a libertarian, I believe in the concept of federalism, Governor. In fact, our country was founded upon that concept, namely, if the what are the powers of the federal government? Well, they've been delegated expressly by the Constitution. They've well exceeded them since. So the issue of whether you're going to have marijuana regulated and controlled or not, treated like wine or not, should be a state decision, not a federal decision. And then we can learn from each other. And that's the concept of federalism. Libertarians buy into that, and I'm sure that you do as well. But, Governor, I would ask you, after our interview is over, and I'd ask our audience as well, it's really an interesting website, www.isidewith.com, the letter I, S-I-D-E, W-I-T-H, isidewith.com, and you can answer something in the order of 25 questions, political, and it's private, but they will then digest them and give back to you and show you where you really fit on the political scale. And I think that our audience and even you, I, I, I did this and came out something like 87% with Governor Gary Johnson and the Libertarian Party. Uh, I can tell people I don't even agree with myself 87% of the time, but it's really pretty interesting to see. Just go to that, keep it private. You can share it if you want to, but you don't have to, and see where you fit on the, on the scale of political, because I think you'll be shocked at seeing how libertarian most people are. So we're going to talk more with Governor Lincoln Chafee after we come back from a couple of these messages. Stay tuned. A lot more to talk about. 
Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Live Fridays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. The Libertarian Party is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains. Racers and Rental Cars is the program for wannabe pro racers and those interested in the racing profession and automotive industry. Join hosts Cameron Ferre and Don O'Neill as they take you behind the scenes with previews and review for race day. It's about the business as well as the fun. We've got the scoop, the guests, the discussion, and the WTF moments. All you need to do is bring your ears. Racers and Rental Cars heard every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to play the ponies and win? At Winning Ponies, we go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, and handicappers. The Winning Ponies Radio Show with John Englehart, racing's regular guy, is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Catch us live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Win prizes just for calling in. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. We are Americans you are listening to All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired Judge Jim Gray. To find out more about Judge Gray, visit JudgeJimGray.com. That's JudgeJimGray.com. Now, back to All Rise. Well, welcome back after those messages. This is Judge Jim Gray again on All Rise, 
again with the idea we employ these libertarian values, we will literally all rise together. We have our wonderful guest here, Governor Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island, and uh, we're go- we're going to go back into libertarian values and and his fresh approach to them. But in keeping with my wife's mandate, because I always have to keep the boss happy, uh, she said bring in a little bit of silliness, and uh, I think that I can do that. For example, you say that uh, uh, life is short. But if you can't laugh at yourself, call me and I will. So that's one way of approaching things. Another one is actually that uh, despite the high cost of living, it does still remain popular, which I think is probably also true. But coming back to getting around the silliness for a moment, Governor Lincoln Chafee, welcome again. Thank you for being with us. Uh, and let's Thank you, Judge. give a little bit of uh, of breaking news. Uh, I've heard rumors that you would at least consider running for president of the United States as a libertarian. Uh, I'm not going to pursue that and get a yes or no from you, but if that were to happen, uh, you'd often be asking the following questions. You know, sending our troops into combat regions is extremely important decision to make. We've talked about that a little bit, but, but what is it under what circumstances would you recommend that our troops be placed into battle? Well, first of all, a last resort. It has to be a last resort. And uh, all efforts made to uh, avoid um, any kind of bloody conflict. And then secondly, it it has to be in some kind of self-defense. There has to be uh, a justification that uh, is, is absolutely compelling to all Americans. And we've gotten into Vietnam, we've gotten into Iraq, and uh, we've sent brave men and women over there uh, into the uh, rice paddies of Vietnam and then into the desert of Iraq. And uh, we, we just have to somehow change that parameter and, and how we uh, make these huge mistakes that are not only uh, for those men and women, but also for the veterans that then come home with post-traumatic stress disorder and other issues, alcoholism and suicide and uh, it's all such huge mistakes that are made by our government. We just have to change that, Judge. There, there's such an expense of putting our troops into battle. And you mentioned some, of course, my goodness, Iraq, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people have died who would still be alive uh, in Iraq had we not done that. And then you say other expenses, because if you come home as a veteran and you lost an arm, that's visible. And by and large, people respond to you and you get pretty good care. But there's also that unseen problem of, of PTSD and, and and the rest of that. We have a high suicide rate of our veterans. I understand in California that at least 30% of the people that are homeless today are veterans, and I'm convinced that there's a connection there. So I think the Veterans Administration is doing as good a job as they can, given the funding they have and the, and the resources, but our allowing these vets out there who are still having nightmares because of having been in combat, etc., is the biggest breach of contract going on in our country today, that we are failing our vets that have been in these wars and have come back with these various problems. As president, would you, in effect, increase the VA or, or the responsibility for our vets? Well, when I voted against the Iraq war, uh, one of the reasons was uh, that I knew that the veterans would require services for decades and decades. And, of course, we're going to give them the, the care they need. Nobody's going to vote against that. And uh, so uh, that was one of the compelling reasons why I voted against the Iraq War, the only Republican to do so. And 
I just also didn't believe that Saddam Hussein was a threat to the United States of America. I just didn't believe that. I didn't believe he had weapons of mass destruction. And it just boggles my mind that the architects of this lie that Saddam Hussein had weapons of mass destruction are still popular in the United States. But Bush and Cheney and Condoleezza Rice and the whole gang of them and the, the senators that voted for it, whether it's Senator Biden or Senator Clinton or Senator Kerry, uh, on they go with successful careers. And it's the biggest mistake. We talked about mistakes that have been made in America. How about that lie about Saddam Hussein having weapons of mass destruction? And those poor veterans now, as we talk about, uh, homeless and, and, and under uh, such stress mentally and physically, uh, is, is a American tragedy in my view. I look around me, Governor, and I just don't see very many leaders in our country at the state, local, federal level. I just don't see leadership. What I just heard from you is leadership. I commend you for it. I applaud you for it. We need people like that in our country. And I'm encouraging you to stay in the Libertarian Party for life, as I am, and also to run for president. We we, we need leaders. You People can say, I would do this, I would do that, if elected. You are the one that's saw through this subterfuge with regard to Iraq, which I, I still feel I have a high regard for Colin Powell, who was our Secretary of State at the time, and they he was lied to, in my opinion, by high-ranking government officials, and then he put his integrity on the line by, by encouraging us to go into Iraq, and I still feel for the man. Yes, that poor man, he, uh, that, that performance of the United Nations was uh, very regrettable. I'm sure I sure he feels betrayed today and I think he was betrayed. He was just there were just lies and they knew it at the time. Well, when Governor yeah, Gary Johnson he was just being asked, a good soldier. Yes, truly. He was just being a good soldier. Yes, tr- truly so. May he bless him. But when Governor Gary Johnson asked me to be his vice presidential running mate back in 2012, at the same time, in that same conversation, he told me, Jim, if you happen to disagree with me on any issue, please feel free to say so publicly. But, by the way, make sure that you're right. And later, I had interviewed him on a TV show uh, after the election was over, and and I asked him, well, how did that come about? I, I don't believe that, for example, President Obama told that to Vice President Biden or anything of the kind that uh, Romney told that to Congressman Ryan, but but that's what Governor Gary Johnson told me. How did you happen to do that? And he said, you know, when I was governor of New Mexico, I told my cabinet members the same thing. That uh, Did you tell your cabinet members the same thing? And by the way, Governor Johnson said, before you do that, make sure you're right. But I want to get the right information. And if you disagree with me, say so. Is that what you did as governor? And would you do that as president? I'm sure that that's one of the reasons Governor Johnson got reelected and had success in New Mexico is giving freedom to his directors to to uh, disagree. And uh, it is essential to, in order to make good policy decisions to hear all different viewpoints. And yes, as mayor and as governor, I was very proud of the team I put together. It's the most important thing, in my view, once one gets elected, is putting together the team that's uh, going to you're going to trust immensely. On, on big decisions, and uh, I'm proud of what I did as mayor and governor, and also my Senate staff uh, when I was in the Senate. So I have a record and uh, of uh, doing that. And I think if I were to go on in elected politics, uh, that record will show that I, I agree with Governor Johnson. You want 
you want a robust discussion on important issues. Well, Abraham you want people Lincoln to have courage, together. to have the bravery yeah, and, they, and the courage and the guts to step up and say, sir, I disagree with you, or madame, I disagree with you. And, and this here's is why. why. Yes, good, good for you. Uh, you know, when Abraham Lincoln was president, he put together uh, a, what he called a team of rivals that he actually put some of his rivals on his cabinet so that he could hear from them directly. And you don't want to be a yes man. And by the way, last time I looked, the federal government's the largest company, so-called, in the world, the largest, strongest, most expensive company. And uh, no one can know everything. So what you need to do, like Governor Chafee is saying, is put in people whose confidence you have and then listen to them. Uh, it's kind of the same thing I tell people that they have attorneys say, look, I recommend that you follow the advice of your attorney. If you don't trust your attorney, then you've got the wrong attorney. But otherwise, listen to them and give credence to what they're saying. The other thing that I think, and I'll ask Governor Chafee this as well, what would be the difference between a libertarian presidency and one of a Republican or Democrat? And one that hits me through the eyes is not only the financial responsibility, but we would put in a coalition government that, yes, libertarians, independents, but also Republicans and Democrats, uh, as long as they shared our philosophy. Of, of financial responsibility and uh, and live and let live, but but we would have that coalition government. Then, if you have a Democrat secretary of something and you're having problems with Democrats, hey, go talk with your colleagues. Let's get them on board. Let's have a discussion. Would that be what would happen in a libertarian uh, presidency that you would oversee, Governor Chafee? Absolutely, and we're way overdue for that. And look at the gridlock and the the partisan bickering and the. Uh, the, 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 all the hatred that's that in Congress right now and the shouting back and forth at various Supreme Court hearings and the like, uh, we, we, ha- we need a change. And I think having that third party, the Libertarian Party, come in and bring in, uh, as you said, Democrats and Republicans, putting them in positions of influence and power uh, is the answer we need right now in the United States of America. More than ever, we need it now. We don't need it 10 years from now. We're just so polarized. Never in my lifetime have we been so polarized where, in fact, if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat and you say, well, let's compromise with the other side, that is, in fact, seen as a sellout. It's just, wait a minute. You know, our country was founded on compromise. And if you get into politics and polarization, we all saw these Justice Kavanaugh hearings, which I think the country lost, the judiciary lost, that all of the name calling, all of the by, all of the partisanship, all of the polarization, and uh, I just think we've got to get away from that. Did you watch those Kavanaugh hearings, Governor? Yes, yes, and it all just came bubbling out. The, as I said, the hatred that the the two sides have for each other uh, came bubbling out in in uh, those hearings for Kavanaugh. It's just it was it was just a, a tragedy that kind of remains because you're demeaning now our institution of the judiciary. So I, I can tell you one of the biggest issues, and we haven't we haven't touched on this yet. We did previously in an all rise uh, session, but it's school choice. We have so many schools that are failing our children all around the country, uh, and mostly in the lower economic areas, and that unfortunately in many ways means African Americans or Hispanics and the like. But but what is your view with regard to the school choice movement around the country today? And do you agree with it? And what are your thoughts? Well, I uh, had a good experience in public schools myself uh, in my neighborhood, but I do think that this is an area that the federal government uh, sh- should not get involved in. It's one area where the, we just historically the federal government has not put its fingers into this pie. 
and they're doing it more and more. And I, it, the schools should be governed by the local authorities, the school committees and the like, and they should be making their own decisions. And the federal government uh, should be staying out of it. And uh, it's worked. It's made America the best country in the world by far. And so let the let the local school districts make their own decisions and keep the federal government out of it. Uh, we had when I was in the Senate, let no child left behind, and all these federal programs. I'm going no, stay out of the let let the local governments make these decisions. You are indeed a libertarian governor. It must have been just anguishing for you to see this war in Iraq being being voted on, et cetera, and then school choice. We had on the 2nd of August, uh, Robert Enlow, who was the director of, the, of Ed Choice, and uh, it was just a marvelous, marvelous interview. That was, again, I say on August the 2nd. Go back and listen to it, uh, I'd ask my, my uh, listeners here, because that really was one of the greatest uh, interviews we've had. But we ha- didn't have a Department of Education until the presidency of Jimmy Carter. Uh, you can look in the Constitution hey, remember that document, the Constitution, and come out completely empty with finding any ability, any delegation of authority in the Constitution to the federal government to be involved with education. Of all things, that should be a local issue. So I would, in fact, in my sunset provision laws, look at the Department of Education and uh, with an eye toward seriously cutting it back, uh, if not abolishing it. Is that your view as well, Governor? Well, again, if I could... uh cheat a little bit and read from the Constitution. The Tenth Amendment says the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. That's the Tenth Amendment. It clearly says exactly what you're saying. If it's not in here, let the states make these decisions. Let the local governments make these decisions. So, yes, I agree with you. That's pretty subversive stuff, Governor. Be careful what you say. People are listening. You're, you're simply right. I'm reading you know, from the Constitution. Very subversive. <laughs> that's, that's right. Be careful. I, I tell people, and I, and I mean it, that big government is really good, really effective at one thing, and that is increasing the size, the power, the, the expense of big government. And that's exactly what we're seeing where, uh, in the court system. We have now the, a lot of bureaucracy to the degree that uh, we had a Christmas a holiday party, and at the holiday party for the entire Orange County Superior Court, we'd have, okay, all the bailiffs stand up, all the clerks stand up, and the rest of that. Then they said all people in the in – the, uh, Support staff stand up, and about a third of the people in the room stood up, and they're involved with the computers. And I, I, I talked to our presiding judge the next day and said, "Well, you know, Judge, what is it that these people do?" He looked at me and said, "Damn if I know, Jim. You know, what they do is they provide information to Sacramento to the, to the state government, and then the people peers bureaucracy in Sacramento looks at, oh, you're not doing this quite right, and they shuffle these papers back and forth. None of which would help me try my cases, but we just have this huge colossal bureaucracy. And if it's bad in California, look how bad it would be in Washington D.C. You know, the Department of Education will oversee these various things, all these bureaucratic things, but who's in a better position to decide, Governor, what type of education your children should have, you or the government? And boy, I've never had anybody say it's anything other than the parents. So school choice, I think, is a huge issue, and I think that the ACLU and MALDEF and, and other organi- good organizations that, that purport to care about people should get on the side of 
the school choice movement. And that's contrary, of course, to uh, teachers' unions. They're totally adamantly against it because it's a threat to their, to their, to their money. But uh, would you help us uh, get these various companies and, and institutions on side of, of educational choice, of school choice? It's a huge issue, Governor. Can you? Are you going to be involved in that? Well, I will say that as mayor, I inherited a terrible uh, labor dispute between our very, very powerful teachers' union. Uh, my predecessor was warring with them, and, and I did come in uh, as mayor and settle that. It was, it was very disruptive to our, uh, to our city. People weren't moving into our city. Uh, people couldn't sell their houses when they had to move for job change or whatever uh, because of this uh, labor dispute that was going on. And I got it settled, so I have some experience of working with these unions. I'd like to uh, bring them so that they better uh, help us uh, form these school systems. And they're protecting bad teachers to the detriment of our school system. They're protecting teachers that are, have chronic absenteeism. And unions came in for a good reason. They, they brought good benefits and good pay to hardworking teachers. But uh, I, I do think we need to work with them better to, so that we can have a, a good teachers rewarded and, and bad teachers uh, find other work. Indeed so. I love teachers. I think it's a truly noble profession. Uh, it was the city of New York, I think two years ago, this is the last time I saw statistics, were spending $10 million paying teachers not to teach. They would actually show up every day and be put into a gymnasium or a place where they would play solitaire or read books or play bridge with each other and get full salary. Why? Because no other director, principal wanted to use them because they were ineffective in teaching or they had disciplinary problems. But you couldn't fire them under the circumstances. So that, that we have to make a decision as a country. What's the function of the educational system? Number one, to educate our children. What a concept. Or number two, to support and protect below average teachers. So you've been doing this. You've been in the trenches, Governor. Just good for you. So we have just a little bit of time left. What do you think really are the three most important issues facing our country today? And how should we as a country or as libertarians, Governor Chafee, address them? Well, I'm going to agree with uh, Ambassador Negroponte. It's national debt, national debt, national debt. I'll put uh, you asked where the top three. I think they're, they're all relevant to the national debt. And I, I, if we have another recession, another depression, uh, another meltdown of the economy, uh, who knows how deep the next one will be? And when I read from that uh, news clipping about uh, the, the, the deficit's gone up 26% over the last fiscal year, and in one year, 26%, it's, it's, it's out of control, and it's Democrats and Republicans judge. They're both guilty on this. And it has to be addressed, and it takes, it takes hard work. It, uh, going through the departments, finding out which ones are uh, worthwhile having, uh, are not cost-effective, and eliminating them, and, and controlling spending is hard work. And, and that's what we need in government right now. Indeed so. In fact, you go to isidewith.com. If that is your view, and it should be, it certainly should be our young people's view because they're the ones that this axe will fall upon. You're a libertarian, and we're the only ones in town that do this. Uh, so you've, you've been a libertarian for a long time, Governor, and, and it, we're practical. You know, you don't need to be dogmatic or philosophically pure, but just, just what is happening here? And Maybe one thing that we could do is before you in Congress, designate any spending, you also have to designate where the money's going to come from. Let's just look at that. Would that be something that you could do? Because, of course, you couldn't print money in Rhode Island, but the federal government's just doing it. 26% in one year is, is hellacious. It's obscene. 
Yes, and then comes back that interest on the debt. And I think our young people, you're exactly what you're talking about, we don't want to pay this interest on this debt. We'd rather uh, put it into tax cuts and, or, or better roads or better schools or uh, get it, uh, infrastructure improvements, all those things we need. Uh, and, and you're absolutely right about the young people. It's going to fall. The axe is going to fall on them. And I do think that they're starting to, the young people are aware of this. And, and, and I do think this opportunity for the Libertarian Party to bring the young people uh, to our way of thinking. Yes, we're, we're certainly doing it. But innately, Governor Chafee, are you optimistic about our country? And if you are, why? I am an optimistic person. Uh, I, I just believe in the people. And it, it's not always perfect. But in the end, in the final analysis, uh, the, the, the people make the right decisions. And that, that makes me optimistic. Sure. You know, last thing, and we're running a little bit out of time, but we talk about the war on drugs and, and marijuana. And by the way, I've never used marijuana in my life, but uh, I'm really becoming attracted to this CBD oil, which is has no mind-altering properties. But the more people you talk to, we had visitors from out of state uh, recently, and, and he takes some gummies, I guess, that have a little THC in them and a little CBD, and it just helps him sleep, and, and it doesn't have any any mind-altering properties particularly, but but are you familiar with CBD oil, and, and uh, uh, if so, uh, where are we going? Because I happen to think this is going to be a positive revolution uh, medically in our country and around the world, but our government has kept us, prohibited us from even researching it as of about 1937 with the Marijuana Tax Act. Are you familiar with CBD oil and what's your view about it, if you are? Yes, a little bit. And I'm learning more, especially from the vets that are coming back and uh, getting in touch and saying, uh, please help us get better access uh, to some of these substances that help us deal with all the issues we talked about earlier in the show. And and also, uh, Judge, when you talked about let states experiment, I think the Colorado and maybe the state of Washington, but particularly Colorado, uh, their experiment uh, with all these new legalizations uh, is led to other states in Rhode Island. We quickly passed a medical marijuana bill based on uh, the positive experiences in Colorado. And uh, so that does work, giving the states the ability to make their own decisions. It does work. And federal government should reclassify uh some of these drugs that are listed as the uh, schedules, they call it, you know, right up there with some of the worst drugs. And it, it, that, that's, a, that's a mistake in my view. Uh, allow the states to uh, have greater freedom in how they deal with some of these legalization issues. Or at least under the Controlled Substance Act from the Nixon administration, uh, who decides which drug will be on which schedule? Well, it's been delegated to the head of the DEA, a police officer. If it has to happen, why not have the Surgeon General make that decision as a medical one instead of a police one? But that's called government. That's called politics. Uh, we also, and we just... Uh, politics is and, and and in fact you you i'm not a politician because i've never been elected and maybe uh, uh using we the, the slogan we go we all go gray eventually may have had something to do with it but but you've been you've been successful but you know in politics reality is irrelevant reality and politics is irrelevant it's only the voters perception of reality that counts and of course politicians play on that all the time fear-mongering and all the rest it's it's for the children well no it's for the teachers unions etc but but talk about another issue and, and you mentioned this a little bit earlier because i'm taking notes but uh, the death penalty and i've taken a public position that regardless of your philosophy the death penalty just does not work and it's really penalizing making 
pawns of the victims because they're using them and then they have to come back maybe 10 years later on a retrial and have to relive their experiences, etc. Uh, we did, and you've probably seen the, the TV show MASH, Governor, uh, but uh, we had yeah. Mike Farrell, who was uh, B.J. Honeycutt on MASH, now terribly and hev- heavily involved against the death penalty. That was broadcast on May 31st, but but you're against the death penalty. Why? Well, mostly because of the mistakes uh, that can be made. And, of course, so it's irrevocable once you put someone to death uh, and find out that you've executed the wrong person. That did happen in Rhode Island back in the 1850s, and so we quickly abolished well, the, the second state to abolish the death penalty in Rhode Island uh, based on that mistake we made. And also, as you said, the cost. It's, it, it's not cost-effective. It's, it's more expensive uh, to go through the whole process of a death penalty. And again, back to the Constitution, uh, you've got to think that a firing squad or an electric chair or a lethal injection or whatever method is cruel and unusual punishment. And that's what our Constitution bans. No cruel and unusual punishment. Sitting in, uh, in a jail cell for the rest of your life is, is, is uh, much better than electrocution or some other horrific uh, firing squad or the, or the like. Uh, and, and the potential for mistakes, of course, is always there. Yes, in fact, if that were to happen to one person, that's too many, and it's happened more times than that. So, so folks, there you have it. I've never met in person. I've never spoken before with Governor Lincoln Chafee from Rhode Island, but I'm impressed. Governor, I, I'm just proud to have you in the Libertarian Party. I don't care what party you're in, really, as long as you employ libertarian values, but but. You'll, the only place you'll find a home with these values is the Libertarian Party, and I, I'm proud to be a Libertarian. So, Governor, thank you for being with us. Bless you for what you've done. Uh, bless you for what you're doing now, and, and I encourage you to uh, run for office again because we need leaders, and you have convinced me that you are one of those. So tune in again, well, ladies and gentlemen. We're proud to you. have you with us on, here on uh all rise. You're certainly welcome, and and thank you. We we will bring another important guest with you and and talk about real issues. In the meantime, again, please feel free to go back and call up on demand any past episode. I've mentioned some here, but there are lots of really good ones. In the meantime, listen again next Friday on All Rise: The Libertarian with Way with Judge Jim Gray, who is now saying to you, as I always do, thank you and life is good. Thanks for listening today. All Rise, the Libertarian Way with retired judge Jim Gray can be heard every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time and 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We know you'll want to join us again next week and tell your friends that help is on the way. Strengthen my thoughts that help us control. We are American The Libertarian Party is the third largest political party in the United States, and it's more successful than ever. We don't just talk the talk of individual liberty and free markets. We also walk the walk. Libertarian Party candidates are getting elected to office across the United States, and we are making a difference. 
the Libertarian Party, is also the only third party that routinely has ballot access in every state. Our achievements and influence grow every year, and you can be part of that success. You can register as a Libertarian Party voter in your state to help us achieve easier ballot access. You can also visit lp.org today to become a member of the Libertarian Party, no matter which party you register with. Join the Libertarian Party today at lp.org. Together, we can move mountains.